0: Are you tired of putting yourself last, of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join a radio host and life choreographer, Laura Cheadle, and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt, find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative and trust in your truth. Hello, welcome to flaunt, build your dreams and live your sparkle.
1: I'm Laura Cheadle. And today we're going to talk about lawyers. Oh my gosh. What do you think about when you think about lawyers? I want you to be honest. How many of you think, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to go see my attorney today. He or she is going to do such a great job and, and I'm not going to spend hardly any money and I'm going to have my problem solved instantaneously. Okay. It's my guess that none of you feel that way about your lawyer. But what I want to do today is bring on a man who is fairly incredible. Fairly incredible, not only as an attorney, but he is one of the profession's best known experts, authors, and commentators on legal technology, we'll follow up on that, and the application of technology to the practice of law. And you know what that does? That helps expedite things. That helps create systems that are hopefully more user friendly, which means you might actually start looking forward to seeing your attorney. Anyway, he's got this phenomenal reputation as an innovator who understands underlying technologies and platforms while being easy to work with. Yay! Responsive to clients, and he's got global clients all over the world, and focused on real world results. I know from my years working in a law department, so many people view lawyers as adverse to business. They view lawyers as the people who say no, 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 and shut down business instead of advance business. Dennis Kennedy, who is my guest, also helps clients improve processes and systems that drive innovation, value, and efficiency. He provides advice, education, and he coaches and mentors legal professionals. Now, in addition to all of this work that he does, really making the legal profession more user-friendly, Efficient. He's also co authored several books. One of those books that I'd like to talk about today is The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Techniques Smart Ways to Work Together. He's got several other books that I will let him discuss. But for now, I want to bring on Mr. Dennis Kennedy to talk about the stereotypical view of lawyers and what he is doing to make the legal profession much more collaborative and user-friendly. So welcome to my show, Dennis.
2: Oh, t- thank you, it's, uh, it's great to be here and uh, if we can break some stereotypes, that's even better.
1: Absolutely, because lawyers are not all ambulance chasers. Lawyers are not all adverse to business. Lawyers do some great things in the world.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, one thing is that uh, I've always been had fairly specialized practices. So sometimes family and friends don't really understand what it is that I do. And uh, sometimes my daughter will say that she explains to her friends that, Yeah, my dad is a lawyer, but he doesn't go to court, and they don't really even understand what that means. And so I I think that sometimes people kind of associate the word lawyer with, you know, people who are in court, and they're fighting, and they're arguing you don't realize that probably the vast majority of lawyers are working at trying to make things happen, put together deals, uh, you know, comply with regulations, do those, those, do those sorts of things. And then I think increasingly uh, you see the new trend of lawyers trying to step out of the picture of where they don't need to be and, and really kind of help people, uh, figure out what they need to do themselves with some of the tools that, that are available. And, and as more information, you know, comes online, um, there are a lot, of, lot more things that it used to be that lawyers kept behind the closed doors, you know, like the laws themselves, cases, things you research, all oh, that's out in the open now. And, and that makes for much more educated, uh, proactive clients. And, and that, that is changing the approach that needs to be taken in the law.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that, that she explains you as being a lawyer who doesn't go to court, because yes, most lawyers are transactional in nature, and being a litigator is a separate, distinct, and somewhat small area of the law, yet there are no popular TV shows or Netflix series on transactional legal work. (laughs) Just. It's not Yeah, it's program.
2: hard to kind of figure out what that show would look like, or you know, to. Uh, I used to do estate planning and tax work earlier in my career, and I try to think up like a TV show or a movie, but it's really hard to to see, what, you know, what you can come up with that covers, say, the generation skipping transfer tax. That's going to grab millions of people <laughs> as an audience.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if that would be popular or not. I just can't see it. <laughs> Um, so when you talk about that, you are correct in that lawyers help people navigate the law and that much more of the law is online right now. Um, do you find yourself in a position of being a counselor of law more often now because people are more educated as opposed to explaining, oh, this is the generation skipping tax blah, blah and this is how it applies to you?
2: Well, so earlier in my career, when I did that type of work, what I found was as the internet developed, and I did that up till 1998, but you could always see the internet was happening and people uh, were a lot more educated as clients when they came in. So they sort of knew what the possibilities were. Sometimes they'd even made their own decisions. So we, lawyers were already starting to see what the doctors and others see, you know, that you come in and the, you know, the, patient has already done all the homework and has a pretty good idea of what they think the diagnosis is, and so a doctor sometimes has to overcome that. So you had that, uh, so I saw things changing, and then as I shifted my practice, and then I spent the last 12 years uh, in the law department of MasterCard, where I focused on information technology law, I'll call it innovation Worked with a group called MasterCard Labs, which is the research and development area innovation, newest technologies. And in my time at MasterCard, what I liked about it was I was essentially embedded with the business people who were my clients. But um, I kind of could see things from beginning to end. I got to know the people. I got to know what their concerns were. You know what their project timelines were, and then could work with them in a much better way to accomplish what they needed to accomplish. And I think you're right. There is a uh, sort of running joke that even in uh, the internal uh, lawyers at a, co- at a company are known as the abominable no no men, uh, yeah. as they sometimes say. So I think there was a thing where you said, "Okay, can can we help get this done?" Because the important thing is really the business goes forward. And so it it becomes the difference between saying, no, you can't do that, to yes, you can do that, but maybe not in that way, or yes, you can do that if you do this, or if we can kind of identify that early enough, we can find a a much clearer path uh, to go forward that could improve the whole product or service offering that you have anyway.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that you kind of focus on that sweet spot between the intersection of technology, business and law and figuring out the way I like to see it. I'm, I'm kind of a visual person. I see it as this obstacle course and you help enlighten people and show them, hey, this is the obstacle course. This is the hoop you have to go through. This is the fence you have to go under. This is the thing you have to burst through. But it seems like when you intersect technology, business, and law, you can lay that path out for people, and then people at least know what they need to do to reach the finish line.
2: Right, and people need interpreters. So one of the things I found was I always put the – well, I'm interested in technology anyway, but I always put the extra effort into understanding – what people want to do on the business side, and then to understand their technology. Because a lot of times, you get a lot of criticism of lawyers that they don't bother to learn the technology. They think it's too complicated. And there can be a simple set of questions that that have gigantic consequences. Um, And if you understand the technology that they're using... The actual, the legal work can get a lot easier. You can uh, focus on the on the main issues a lot better, and the the business people just appreciate the fact that you've uh, taken that extra step to understand what they're doing. And then at the same time, I would I, I used to do this thing where I would say, "Hey, if you will teach me something about APIs or you know some other technology, what I will do is I will." teach you uh, some of the legal issues that come up so you can identify them sooner in the process. And we can, you know, because I, I like to say these days, law, a lot of times, is not rocket science. Uh, it, and uh, if I can teach people to, to uh, understand what it is I look for, typically, the ways to address those things, then they come to me with the more important questions. Um, so that works well.
1: Very well said. Very well said. Because you're right. Oftentimes, it's just not knowing what it is you're looking for. So when you talk about, because you've got this book, um, Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies. Is that kind of the thrust of that book on collaborating with the business pieces and using those tools? Or what is the focus of that? How does, what's the interplay with that?
2: There's a little story behind the book. So the, I wrote it for the American Bar Association, and they had been after me for uh, many years to write a book. They said, you can write a book on whatever you want to write on, um, and you can co-write it if you want. And so my friend Tom Mile and I, who I, I guess we had already started doing a podcast together, but we had been writing together a lot. And we said, well, let's do something that nobody else has talked about that that will become much more important over time. So we said, well, when when we write this book, we're going to have to use, and I think Google Docs had a different name at the time, and 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 there's like there weren't that many tools. We said we're going to have to use something to work on things together. Huh. So we said, what if we did a book that was just like about all the different ways that you collaborate and the tools that are available? So I ran into a friend of mine who was on the decision making board who looked at the book proposal, and he said to me, uh, and he's a lawyer as well, so he he said when that proposal came up, I did not understand what the point of it was, why this would make a good book, why this was even a topic, and it took a long time to be convinced, and he said a couple years later, I said, uh, oh my god, I, this is like a, one of the most important topics. And then when I saw him last year, he said, "And now I'm at the point where, like, oh my God, this is like maybe the biggest mistake I've ever made." So you have a, a guy who's a lawyer who's actually saying, you know, I, I made a mistake, uh, which is pretty darn rare. Um, so, so that's that's that was a good uh, good result of the book. But so we said um, we took the notion that. Uh, If you go back and you look at the the movies and the TV shows about lawyers, there is a sense of you have this kind of lone knight, you know, fighting for justice. But in all cases, uh, everything that involves law has many people involved and they need to work together. Um, You know, so there's lawyer, there's client, there's opposing party, there's opposing lawyers, there's the court system. There's all sorts of things going on. So we said, what can we do? Um, that describes what the tools are that are out there and how you would use them, and then the main cases that you would do them, and then give people checklists and other things to really think through what you need to do when you're working together with someone. And we went from the simplest to the most complex. And then uh, last year we did a second edition of it, which uh, actually we didn't have to change that much. Some of the tools have changed. Um, probably all the URLs that we had in the first book are all dead at this yeah. point, it seems like, but, uh, so you do, <laughs> you do him. Yep. Do that issue. Um, and, but sort of like a lot of the concepts are the same as with the tools have gotten better. And I think where they've gotten the most interestingly better is, uh, with the client communication side. Um, and part of that's just evolution. You know, we're all used to FaceTime and video conferencing now. And so it becomes an easy step to say, uh, like, if I were looking at, if I were like in the elder law area, family law, other things like that, the way you'd say, there, people have issues just getting into an office and having a meeting. What if I can handle that by video? You know, my daughter uh, was working with a, a social work agency in in domestic violence, and they had a video conferencing room. Uh, because you didn't want the person who's being abused uh to have to go to court or have, you know, be in any more uh, discomfort. I mean, they had other huge issues going on. They didn't know where they were going to live. They were worried about their own safety. But yeah. like You don't need to say, oh, and by the way, you need to run down to the courthouse and spend a day there waiting in line to, to have a hearing. So so I think that some of those things as we've evolved with phones and video and that sort of thing have, have really um, – open up some opportunities on the, on the client side um, yeah. that I think are really interesting.
1: Yeah. That's really, I, it's so simple. I like how you said you take it from the simple to the most complex because the whole concept in and of itself is very simple that we've got evolving technology that it can make life easier for the clients, for the lawyers, for the courts. I feel like many Huh, Maybe it's a well-deserved stereotype. <laughs> Maybe not. I feel like the perception out there in the world, the non-legal world, is that lawyers are kind of stuck in doing it one way. And although that's good because legal precedent does evolve slowly, and that's safe and smart, sometimes things evolve too slowly and people are still stuck with faxes and pagers and, you know, handwriting letters instead of sending back, you know, like a Google Doc. Have you met resistance within the legal field to use these technologies you know like well we've always done it this way H- have you met resistance or have
2: people Yeah i mean you get you get that resistance to say i'm not sure that would work what we do is unique we have confidentiality concerns we have security concerns and i'd say really look look at how you how you run your office now i mean like i think that running things over amazon web services is going to be a lot more secure than what you have going, going now so i i think you you run into that, um, there is this sort of, uh, we sometimes call it legal exceptionalism, you know, that uh, that lawyers think that everything they do and everything legal is totally unique, you know, from yeah. the way we pick up the phone to the way we use a pen. Um, and so, so you, you run into that. I think there's, uh, uh, I think people come back to security a lot for some reason, because I think lawyers in general are terrible at security, um, it's really difficult for them to think about, but that's when they don't want to change. That's one thing they found comfort in going back to. So you can say, so there's a new thing I've noticed the last couple of years with doctors who are not, You know, obviously, in in dealing with patients, are not like technology leaders or haven't been historically, right? And but now, when you go to a doctor, there's a patient portal, and you go on, and you you can change an appointment, you can set up an appointment, you can look at your test results, you can do you know, you can ask a question, you can do all these things, and that's kind of the expectation that we've started to have. And so, you'd say, why not? Why wouldn't lawyers do that? That's kind of what what you would expect. And, and then you look at lawyers tend to, and uh, you know this well, but the villain in all this tends to be the, the, the bill for time. And so yeah. if you said, if, if somebody needs a copy of a document, and this is the thing that always used to bother me, I need, just need a copy of a document. And so the only way I can get it is to call the lawyer who's going to chat with me, um, and he's going to charge me a half hour time when I would just prefer to go onto a portal and download a copy of the document I want at no charge. Right. Um, and so that becomes, that becomes an issue. And then I think in the, the video conferencing world, I think what, uh, can be interesting is when you look at sort of like the, the rural small practitioner who probably spends a lot of the day in a car driving. Mm-hmm. And so video conferencing would, you know, kind of reduce the wear and tear on that lawyer. Oh, yeah. um, but then he or she has to decide. Well, if I'm used to when I go out to this place to meet someone, then I know I have like five hours of billable time because I'm spending three and a half hours in the car. Um, or they say, or they might be on the opposite side. I can't charge people for that time I'm driving. So I'm losing three and a half hours that I could otherwise be billing. So some of the technologies, you start to say, what is the, the problem I'm trying to solve? What, uh, there's a great theory called jobs to be done, which you kind of look at the job that you, you want the technology to do. Mm-hmm. And the question that comes with it is, say, what am I hiring this technology to do for me? Yeah. Uh, so when people say, what's the best something technology I should use, I go like, what are you hiring it to do? What's, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And so I think sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to do video conferencing because it's hard and I have to do this and I have to worry about quality and I don't look good and all this sort of thing. You go like, look, people are on FaceTime all, all the time, you know, right. like, it just doesn't matter anymore. We're used to, you know, sometimes there are issues on video conferences, you know, big deal. So um, I think that uh, in the collaboration world, you start to, to, to look, at, look at that. And uh, so in my time at MasterCard, I had kind of like Cadillac systems, and also, assist, you know, the, the sort of proverbial $2 million, you know, teleconference room setup that is amazing but you don't need it in every case. A lot of times, you know, people are happy to just, you know, have a video on the phone and share a screen and that's super easy to do these days.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I I, I like that you mentioned that. There's a problem, we kind of expect some problems, it's okay. You don't look good. You're fine. You're on your little screen. You're you're right. There's just some simple things to overcome. And I love how you said, what are you hiring this technology to do? Because that puts us in the driver's seat. We are the ones that have a problem. We are the ones that are seeking a solution. What are we hiring that technology to do instead of being forced into something or you know moving into something that's going to create more problems that it solves I love just that mental shift of what's your problem and what are you hiring this technology to do that's brilliant
2: yeah so so they I'm working on a, uh, a new book which is actually a completely new version of a book on LinkedIn for lawyers I wrote with my my uh, Uh, friend Allison Shields. And we're working on it now. And there's a lot of jobs to be done in there because a lot of people say, I don't get LinkedIn. It's hard for me. I don't understand it. I don't see the point of it. I'm not looking for a job. And I'm like, well, no, you need to step back and say, what am I hiring LinkedIn to do? And um, so we always tell lawyers uh, that if you're saying I'm hiring LinkedIn to get me new clients and communicate with them, You're right. That's impossible to figure out how you would do that. It's a crazy use for it. But if you're saying, I'm using it to create, build, and nurture referral networks, then you go like, oh, I get that. And sometimes when you say, I say to people who are using LinkedIn to find a job, I go, actually, that's not what you're doing. You're you're using LinkedIn to help you get interviews. Yes. And then you go, oh, okay. So now the people I connect to, the things that I do – I, I understand why I'm using it. So I understand why I want my headline to be a little different, you know, those sorts of things. And I, I think that that can make a huge difference. And then to, to go back to the video conferencing thing, if you say, I I don't know why I would want to be on video and all this stuff. if You say the problem I want to solve is, and I don't go into it thinking that video confer- conferencing is the answer, but I say problem I want to solve is I have clients who can't make it to my office. Right. And they show up late and, you know, all this sort of things. But uh, basically everybody and, you know, sort of ironically to some people, especially the elderly, use video all the time you know and so if you if i have an elder law practice right now I, everything would be there'd be video conferences everything would be online it'd be you know all geared that way and i probably would not be as concerned with people actually coming into my office
1: mhm mhm
2: and, and you they know would
1: what love that. oh exactly exactly and it makes sense and just taking a moment to shift to self I practiced law, I was in house corporate, then I shifted into this female empowerment and more coaching of lawyers, and coaching in the legal world. And so many people would say to me, what a huge shift, you left being a lawyer and you've moved into coaching. And to me, I would always think, there really is no shift. Being a good lawyer practicing law is about solving problems and helping people solve problems. And coaching and working with lawyers and finding technology is about solving problems. So what you were talking about with the elder population, the problem is they need representation and they can't get there, what's the solution? And just like with the Google documents you know that you mentioned earlier, The problem is we need to share this document back and forth. What's our solution? It's so simple. And oftentimes we complicate things when they're too simple.
2: (laughs) Right. Or you're thinking in the standard way. So to go back to the elder thing, you might be thinking, oh, what I, you know, here are my clients who are this elderly couple um, who have, you know, either health or other issues, you know, potentially. And you say, How do I meet with them? And then you forget that probably what's the driving force is the adult children. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So if you said, Hey, we can have this meeting online and the kids can join in and they could kind of help, you know, remember things and, you know, say, Oh yeah, I, I, we, we know where to find those documents, those sort of thing. It's just going to be like more effective all around. The children are going to be more engaged. The results are likely to be better. The children are not going to feel adversarial that they've been cut out of the process. They're likely to stay with that Mm -hmm. lawyer as their own lawyer. Um, You know, so there's a lot of interesting consequences that come from like thinking through what you need to do, identifying one or more right technologies and then testing them to see if they work. And then, you start to forget there even there's even a technology there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's just like like I said, so simple, but it does expedite because how many times have whether you're meeting with a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or whatever, a meeting gets disrupted because somebody doesn't have a document or somebody needs to reach out for somebody else. Well, if they're already on the video conference, bam, it's done in one hour instead of setting up another meeting two weeks later. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, I want to follow up on a question. You said the ABA asked you to write this book, um, and then you've kind of done the second edition of it. What, what are you thinking about for the future? Uh, is there more coming down the pipe here? Is the ABA do they have resources the lawyers can reach out to? What's next in that field for you?
2: Yeah, so I, I think there's a so there's sort of for me and then what's what's out there so I, I think that the I've always been involved in the ABAs it used to be called the law practice management section and now it's called the law practice division because in volunteer associations you know names are very important and rebranding is important yeah. um, so that is a place where in, within the ABA where you get the information about how you run your practice so management marketing, finance, technology are the four core areas. So I've always been involved in that group. They have their own publishing. And so it'll have been the people who are on the publishing board were always after me because I had written a lot of, I'd written a lot, and I was writing the ABA journal technology column and doing other things. So people were always after me to write a book. And I was like, Yeah, I like writing columns, I write like writing blog posts, but a book, I, I don't know. And a book Wait. is super hard. I don't I can't say that I really enjoy it. I like the fact that I have books. I think they're good books, but it's I don't know that I could have done them by myself. Um so We'll probably take – we're talking about taking some of the Collaboration Tools book and doing some online courses um, and some other things along those lines. Definitely with Alice and I writing the LinkedIn uh, book, which we're going to self-publish, we're looking at more of an ebook book model uh, ah. through Amazon and then online courses uh, to go with that. Um, and so so I think there's some things that I'm planning to do. And then my focus, because um, I, I uh, took an early retirement from MasterCard and uh, moved from St. Louis to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I'm uh, – you know, about to launch some some new things. My focus is going to be more on the legal innovation side, maybe a little bit on uh, just from working with Michigan judges and, and some of the organizations here. Is probably I'll get pulled into some access to justice um, issues as we look at ways that technology can improve court access and other possibilities where people can't either, you know, either. Well, in all events, they can't afford lawyers. There's sort of a stat out there that says 80% of people can't aff- afford legal representation that they need. So there's there is a big issue out there. This, so there's issue where you don't where you have so little money you qualify for legal services. So that's one group. But then there's a bigger group where they don't meet that qualification, and there's just no way that they can they can afford to have, you know, standard legal representation that's going to run into thousands of dollars. Um, so <clears throat> I'm doing that and I've been teaching uh, a couple classes at Michigan State's law school in a program they call Legal RD, which is sort of their sort of new law, new approaches to law uh, and the use of technology in, in law. And so I've had some uh, great students in there and we've, we've had some fun with uh, exploring new ways that they can deliver legal services and do new types of, of law practices. So there's some really interesting things um, going on out there that I'd like to be in more of a kind of advisor, mentoring sort of, sort of role. I was telling some of my friends at Michigan Barley and said, Oh, we have we have all the stuff we want you to do. Like once you feel you're ready to do it and you're set up here in, in Michigan, and I said, Well, let's let's do this. Let's I know you want me to speak, um, because I know that. And that I think it's better if I help you sort of more strategically. And then I said, I'm all about uh right now in my career of opening the doors and getting out of the way and letting the the sort of women uh, diverse speakers, take over some of the things I've been doing and to, to really bring that group in instead of having the, the same old, uh, I still like to refer to myself as middle-aged white guy, but uh, but anyway, like the, to the older white guys, you know, continue to play plays, take, you know, uh, speaking opportunities and other things that don't make sense for me anymore. I'd rather just open the door. So th- those are some of the things that I'm thinking. So what can I do that's innovative and how does that Um, as I sort of phase out of a legal career and into some other directions, how can I do a number of things that are fun for me that, you know, keep me super interested in what I'm doing.
1: Right. Yeah. That innovation piece is what really excites me. And, um, my book is coming out November 5th. Yay! Which I'm so excited about.
2: (laughs) There's nothing better than when the box arrives at your door and you open it and it's like your book inside it.
1: Oh so. gosh, I bet. I, I have to figure that out. I was talking to my publisher and they're, you know, they're like, how many boxes do you want? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even think about that. But
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't wait. But speaking of you know, innovation, my book, my listeners mostly know, um, but for listeners who might not know, I'll just give you a brief rundown. It's called Flaunt drop your cover and reveal your smart sexy spiritual self. And it's five steps for revealing yourself authentically. So things like the practice of law can evolve around you. So as a female, as, you know, a minority, as whatever it is, instead of hammering away at a system saying you have to change for me, you have to let me in. You have to do that. And then me inauthentically conforming to that system. Instead, I am letting the full breadth of my intellect, my passions, the way that I show up in the world, free and bravely stepping out there in that space so other things can kind of meld around me and we can all elevate together. So, I love how you talked about it doesn't always make sense for the same people to be giving the same speech, to be taking those opportunities. It makes so much more sense to change, to innovate, to roll, to pivot, to expand and to see what else is out there and what else might be available. The equal access to justice. Right now, money is a limiting factor. There may be more solutions out there that haven't even been brought to light yet. And that innovation and that piece is really exciting to me. And I, I applaud you for stepping into that space and rolling into that direction.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's I think there is, I, over time, um, but, you know, diversity is such an element of innovation. I mean, you yeah. just can't have the same people thinking the same way and you you have to be challenged and you have to say you know like when we're when i'm talking about linkedin or we're writing about linkedin i can tell you that allison's experiences as a female on linkedin are way different than mine so her approach to connecting people was much more cautious than i am Mm -hmm. Uh, my daughter who's 26 uh who had you know what I think it's fair to call like a stalking sort of thing where somebody tracked her down through LinkedIn is, is even more cautious. And she says, there are tons of women who've had that experience, especially young women. And I go, see, that's why I can't talk to that. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And I'm willing to try to find ways to help. But but it's like when I talk to uh, LGBTQ community about LinkedIn, unique set of issues that I don't understand, but I can, I would love to help it because I understand how difficult they are and the opportunities the tool like LinkedIn can bring people. Um, but, what you risk by uh, revealing things about yourself. So when you were talking about your book, I was like, oh my God, I've spent all these years as a lawyer, essentially revealing who, or not revealing who I am, you know, in a lot of ways, because I'm the, you know, independent third party advisor sort of thing, um, which I, I think is one of the actually occupational hazards of being a lawyer is that you reach a point where you go like, oh, I'm great at helping people figure out what they need to do. But like, ask me the question, what do I want to do? Like what restaurant I want to go to or anything? Man, it doesn't even compute anymore. But like you get three people trying to decide on a restaurant, man, I can I can really help sort that out. But, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Isn't it funny?
2: So yeah, so I think that I think, and and you know, as I talk to people about the access to justice area, there is um, some really interesting opportunity um, to use it as a test area for certain technologies, um, yes. and that's what we're we talked about in the classes I did at Michigan State. I did some. Uh, some uh, innovation or in our brainstorming work with the judge here in Michigan, and the result of that is she's doing a two-week pilot uh, expungement clinic in the Upper Peninsula because they have an issue of court access there because big geography, small population, very scattered. And we realized that Michigan just passed uh, marijuana legalization. So the issue of expungement for, you know, uh, possession misdemeanors is is front and center right now. And so this is, we said, well, here's something that people might fund and they have um, that you can use students um, that the court gets good publicity because they're initiating it. um, And you know, ideally there are people who are going to get their records cleaned and now we'll be able to look for jobs and get, uh, you know, all the other things that they, they have not been able to do because they had to put a conviction on their, their job application. And it's, right. you know, so, and it, but it's an experiment, you know, so we don't know whether we'll try it and then it'll kind of fall on this face or not, but it was the ideas will go in and we'll learn and, and see what happens. But, um, yeah. but I did I did this design thinking thing with my class and uh, I left the room uh, because I said, I think you guys will have better ideas if I'm not in the room looking at you. And when I walked back in the room, they were talking about food trucks. And I said, I know this is a great group and you guys are making progress because this ideas were like trying to come up with a way to do an expungement clinic. And you're thinking about, okay, like how do we feed people? And, you know, and I said, so these are all good ideas. So that was, that was fun to get that. Again, it's diversity, right? So you're going. Yes. I, I'm, you know, if I'm talking to other lawyers, there's going like, well, you know, we got insurance issues and we got like ethics issues and all these other things. Then you got like a group of students and go like, don't. You haven't even had the ethics class yet. Just like, don't just go away with what you know, whatever ideas that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is they their approach was like much more uh, client centered and from the client perspective than I ever expected. So they haven't been brainwashed into being a a lawyer quite yet. But
1: (laughs) isn't that wonderful? And I love to about experimenting. Experiment. Try. It's okay to fail. And I feel like I mean in in a lot of professions, legal obviously, uh, medical, obviously, but in a lot of professions We get locked into not feeling like we can fail. And I like that brainstorming concept of what are the things that we need to do, what can we try, and how can it work? And bringing in that diversity piece yes, there is a different threat level on social media for a female as there is for a male. If a group of men are getting together and trying to create a program, it's not that they're intentionally excluding females or You know, anybody else of any minority, LGBTQ, whatever, it's just that they don't know, and we don't know what we don't know, and the only way to figure out what we don't know is to ask and experiment and to fail and then be able to pivot and say, you know, like that, hey, we needed a food truck there. Who knew?
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll, we'll try it. And then you don't say, like, first thing, well, we're in, like, a very rural area. There can't be any food trucks. And you're going, like, well, we don't know. There's There might be restaurants up there who said we'd like to try a food truck idea but have no outlet for it. And then this would be perfect for them. You know, so it's it's kind of like – you start to say, well, there are a whole bunch of pieces to this. And then, you know, more and more, I realize that legal, you sort of think you're you're doing this thing. It's like a one-on-one thing, your litigation, your transaction, your deal. And it's part of this big ecosystem. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of moving parts. And my daughter was really great at pointing this out. You know, like I said, on the domestic violence, if you're a lawyer, you might say, oh, we need to get, like, some kind of restraining order or something like that. And that is... Yeah, that's part of what's going on, but the main thing is safety, place to live, what to do with the kids, how how do I feed the kids, that sort of thing. So there is a legal component, but it's not the most important one. And I think that's sometimes difficult for lawyers to to realize.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I I'm glad that she brought up safety and what to do with the kids because. When we get locked into our own frame of reference that, oh, well, the kids go to the grandparents. Oh, well, the kids are at school. Sometimes it's hard to step back and realize, no, maybe grandparents are in jail or they don't exist. Maybe there is no school. I was in um, Los Angeles last year giving a workshop. And I was talking to one of the vendors, and she was all frustrated, and she was all up in arms because there were homeless people outside of the parking lot, and why didn't they just get a hotel? Why did they just insist on standing by the street? And it was like, oh, honey, (laughs) if if they could get a hotel, believe me, they could get a hotel. That's not the problem. But like that and that's kind of that extreme example we don't know what's going on if that's not our world so we need that diverse population to tell us hey you got to think about this too
2: right because I and, and to give another example with the students that I thought was really funny was that when we talked about this expungement clinic when the judge and I were talking we said okay the big issue for us is like how do we house these students so we're saying like well might there be a college up there or something where there's a dorm that there will be rooms available? So when I, I ran that by the students, they were like, Oh my God, the last thing we, we would not even go if there were dorms, like just <laughs> like, let us get our own bed and breakfast or Airbnb or something. But Oh God, no dorms. And so I told the judge and she was like, Oh, that was, it seemed like coordinating that, that was going to be such a hassle. I'm like oh yeah. And it's, they didn't want it anyway. It would have been a problem, but you don't know until you ask.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. How do you feel like um, diversity, how do you feel like that's really kind of moving in or do you think diversity fatigue is a real legitimate thing right now? What, what are you seeing going forward with that both in your teaching and working with the younger generations as well as with your coaching and consulting and working with the more experienced older populations
2: well i think there is there's definitely is this this uh f- and i usually don't like to to go with to the generational theme but i think there really is is a significant difference you know so that um with i i've grown to see diversity as this great opportunity for people i think other people especially white men feel that it, there's a takeaway happening of, of yeah. some way. and um and so I think it's, that can be really difficult to overcome. And and I find it, you know, when I'm working with people who are trying to get, they, they want to get new speakers in, but they'll go through this whole thing of the thing I hate more than anything that lawyers do. I'm not sure this person is qualified. And I'm like, well, what do you mean they're not qualified? And then I said, here's this difference now with speakers as compared to 20 years ago. They're going to be on podcasts. They're probably going to find video of them speaking somewhere. And, you know, if if they've kind of surfaced so that you find them or you go out and find them, you probably have, you have decent confidence that they're going to be good. And if you're, like, super concerned, you just put them on a panel because, you know, you, you can put a sack of potatoes on a panel and, and yeah. they'll be fine. Not to reveal – Public speaking secrets, but, <laughs> but they, uh, you know, and, and I go, I don't get this whole qualified thing, and, and I'm like, there's plenty of people who who talk all the time who are just terrible, you know, yeah. and they do the same stuff over and over again, and I'm like, I don't get it, like why why not take a chance on somebody new? So I, I did this presentation, I guess two weeks ago, it's on digital mm-hmm. estate planning, which is sort of a hobby topic for me. And I, but I really like talking about it. And so they wanted me to to speak and I did, but I realized that, um, um, and in fairness, I was great when I actually did it. But in the lead up to it, I was going like, you know, if you had a new speaker on this topic, it'd be really important to them. They would rehearse and rehearse it. They would think it all through. Um, they would have motivation cause it's probably going to impact their practice. I was just doing it for fun. you know. And I said, so, um, I think it turned out great. I mean, I, I really had fun with it, but I sort of think it would have been better for to give somebody that new opportunity. And that was sort of one of the things I thought when I was leaving that was, I love to find like some young estate planning lawyer, uh, ideally, you know, a, a, a diversity uh, speaker and kind of train them up on this topic. I think that would be great. Yeah. Um, and because otherwise, you're kind of like I'm at a conference, and I see I I can tell right away that these these guys have given the same talk year after year after year, and mm-hmm. um, and they're also concerned they're closer when you're close to retirement, and this happens in law as you know that you don't want to change you just want to kind of ride it out to the end, and so you don't want to make big changes. And so when I'm talking about digital estate planning, I'm going oh my god, all the opportunities and and. Somebody, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we come to afterwards and go, well, you really scared the heck out of us. And I'm going, like, this is not a scare presentation at all. This is like, look at the opportunities. Um, yeah. So so I, I did notice that. And that's, that's an area where um, in some ways it doesn't surprise me, you know, because it's sort of like a, a – uh, can be a slower paced practice and people like, okay, this is, this is what I'll do. I have standard clients, you know, I'll kind of ride this out. Um, but those people are going to stop at some point. Um, yeah. Although we, we do have the baby baby boomer problem, right? We never want to actually give up. Right. anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. You You brought up a really good point though, when you talked about, finding somebody who is younger that you can kind of mentor because you coach people i coach people but i am also coached and also the people that i coach and the people that i mentor teach me so much and it just creates such a richness for everybody and there's such value in finding that younger generation or even if it's not necessarily a younger Age-wise, somebody who's stepping into it that you can mentor them and you can pass that wisdom on, and then, like you were saying, if it's a diverse thing, then you can learn things too that you can take with you into your next step. And I just think the world needs way more mentors.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's the case. And there's that cool—I mean, that cool concept of reverse mentoring, where you say, like, part of the agreement in mentoring is that. I will teach you things, but you need to teach me things as well. And we will learn from each other and we'll kind of figure that out. But sometimes it can be explicit. You know, I sometimes say, hey, look, why? Uh, you have uh, something that you know that, say, a young attorney wants, and uh, you you think you need to know more about social media or whatever. Like, just make that an explicit part of the arrangement, you know? And, um, and then I think that, If you have a good mentoring relationship and it works, then it will will grow from there. But you actually put a little structure on it where you say, well, there's expectations on both sides.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I'm just going to share this story because I think it's funny. I love social media. I love technology. But there is so much of it. And it is constantly evolving. And I am so busy that I'm not always up on it. And I've got an arrangement with somebody that I work and that I teach with and that I coach and she coaches me and helps me through all my social stuff. If I'm changing something on my website and I don't know how to upload, you know, whatever the video or whatever, I just call her and it's perfect. And it's that symbiotic relationship and it, it is explicit, but it has also evolved into a really neat relationship, and and this is the funny piece. I call her my smut, my social media ultimate technology person, <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it just makes it fun, you know. She comes to me for things, and I'll be like, "Oh, smut, I need you." <laughs> uh
2: huh. Yeah, I mean, and I was thinking that you know, so we're on this podcast, and so I talk to a lot of lawyers who say, "I think I need to do a podcast." And because somebody told me I need to, I go. Oh, that's the wrong reason. And they go, okay. So I have, can you answer a couple questions? Okay, here's my first one: What microphone should I buy? And I go, no, 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 no. It's not the question. I, I have the answer for that, but that's not the question you need to ask. It's like what show do you want? And like so, Tom and I went out there, podcast is like, okay, this is going to be a show, and it's going to have a beginning, a middle, an end. It's going to have segments to it, and we need to conceive of it as a show first. And it could be that your show is, you know, oh, I'm just going to interview somebody one-on-one. Um, and that's a show. Uh, but you kind of thought through how that's going to work, who's going to be on it, that sort of thing. But, yeah, um, I, can't, I can't believe the number of people who this, the, the first question they ask me is what, what microphone should I buy? And I go, yeah, you're one of these people who's likely to do one podcast, and, and that's all.
1: You know? Right. Yeah. And it's funny, as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, who's your audience and what do they need?
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you can say there is an audience that I might want to reach, although I think a lot of successful podcasts ended up with completely different offer, audience than they went for. Oh, yeah. You know? um, and so, that's, so that can be a little tricky. I just think that um, getting the, uh, the structure of a show becomes really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. and because then, then all these other things flow through it. So when Tom and I first did the podcast, we said we're going to have a couple segments. So there is a place that if we ever get advertising, a slot into, right? You know, and it's going to have it's going to have intro music, outro music. It's going to have these things. There'll be some recurring bits, that sort of thing. You go okay, and then we'll evolve it. Like we have over time, but um, but it's always with that structure. And because sometimes if you're looking for a certain audience, it's just, you're not going to hit it, but you, you may hit a completely different one. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and
2: then that's that experimentation thing. And then also, as you said, there are all these new technologies, especially social media. And I say, you know, I always tell people, there's probably going to be one that feels right for you and just go with that one. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's gonna be rare that somebody can do. Oh, I'm a blogger and I'm a podcaster and I'm great on Twitter and I'm that's really rare. You know, because right. I would say people go, oh, "You should do video," and I go, "Like, video is like one more thing that um, it just seems like a lot of hard work, uh, right? And it doesn't feel like my medium, even though sometimes people will say, "No, you're really good in video," and I'm going, "Yeah, it just seems like a lot of work, for right?"
1: Me. Right,
2: it's not where I feel I have the audience, where the podcast is like, uh, I I, I will say, I I thought the same way about podcasting at the very beginning. Now it's like my favorite thing to do. Because I'm a writer, I'm not a podcaster. Now I'm like, okay, well, most of the stuff I would have written in the past is now going into the podcast.
1: And it's all perfect. Which comes from experimentation? Which comes from opening the lens, widening your point of view, learning from others? I don't know if you had some mentors, but you probably did along the way too. That kind of helped you slide into different things. So
2: yeah, yeah. Because I I have some friends who always say like you should write more about mentoring, and I'm like, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. I've written some things in the past, uh, but yeah, it's it's funny because I I always tell my students. I said, here's the most important thing about your first job is that the in an ideal world you'll find a mentor your first job it's not always possible and there are pros and cons of that you know because even though you say you're not going to do it, this it's like you know your parents right I'm not gonna I know one thing I'm never gonna do this you know and then then you find then out it's 25 years later and you're doing exactly what the partner that you learned everything from yeah. did and you go like I swore I would never be Bill Hobson and here I am I'm Bill Hobson you know right. but my own little Spin on it, but yeah so there there's some things like that, but I think that's that 's the piece sometimes um, the new lawyers struggle with, and there 's also this storytelling piece of mentoring that I found that that young lawyers really- stro- really struggle with because they're going, like, I need to build time, and i 'm working with this lawyer, and all they 're doing is tell me stories about like this thing that happened in the past, and stuff I go, no that 's the learning, that is the learning there that 's the right. goal and you got to be patient uh, on that and yeah it's going to seem rambling and sometimes it is but you know there's a lot of there's <laughs> there's a lot of things and then you realize you do th- the other thing about mentoring is I realized uh, from Bill Hobson who worked at white and case in New York and learned from somebody who learned from somebody who probably started out before you know in the 1800s that there were things that I do in my practice that probably go back four or five generations just like little yeah. things. yeah you know, uh, which doesn't make them right, but it's kind of interesting that there is this, this sort of history that gets passed down.
1: Oh, if absolutely! You if you
2: don't listen to the stories from the people you're working with, you don't get that.
1: No, no, that is so true. And the, we, uh, we like stories. Humans love stories. I mean, we've got from the parables to the Bible to, you know, Aesop's fables to fairy tales. We learn through stories. That's who we are. So, yeah, there's a lot to that. Now, I want to make sure that I pause and give you a chance to tell listeners where they can get a hold of you as well as your book, because although your book is geared towards business, technology, and the law, it's my hunch that those technologies could also be geared towards other practices, other professions, and I'm guessing that there are listeners out there who would like to learn more about you and your work.
2: Yeah. So, so the book is really set up to um, to talk about tools that everybody can use, but primarily in business.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I guess if you were if you were working with lawyers or others, you could say, "Why can't we use this?" You know, like, "Hey, why are we exchanging you know, our favorite thing these days?" Right. Why am I exchanging twenty emails to set up time for a conference call when there's this thing called Doodle, which we can get on and mark off times, and it's free and it works great? Um, so there could be some suggestions in there, but a lot of it's just how to think through uh, the processes and how you're working with people, and what you're and looking at what you're doing by default, and saying, can I improve that, or is it good enough? and where are some of the issues. So, so this one comment we've got is that people said, hey, this, is, this definitely applies to more people than lawyers. Um, so that book is out, and it's available uh, on the ABA bookstore and also on Amazon, I think, at the moment. There was a uh, ABA has a bit of a delay before things actually go on to Amazon, but I think we're, we're good there. So you can okay. find me. Um, I have, for many years, have been denniskennedy.com, And my blog has been DennisKennedy.blog. And uh, my podcast is on a site called the Legal Talk Network, which is a big uh, legal podcast network. And it's called the Kennedy Mile Report, M-I-G-H-E-L-L, Tom Mile. And uh, so you find me there. And then I'm like super easy to find because I've been on the Internet since – 1995 so a lot of my stuff uh, shows up all over the place and so that's typically where you find me I'm doing a lot on LinkedIn lately that's sort of my new thing and I'm at Dennis Kennedy on Twitter uh, where I do tweet a fair amount.
1: Perfect. Perfect. And I will go ahead and put that contact information in my show notes too. And listeners, again, if you're driving down the road and you're listening to this and you're thinking, this all sounds great, but I'm not gonna remember it, you can get a hold of me and I can put you in touch. Laura L-O-R-A at com or Lauracheetle.com. However, you wanna get a hold of me is fine and dandy with me. And before I close out and have Dennis give us his last bit of information and his parting brilliance, I want to remind you that I've got my retreat coming up Father's Day weekend for any of you women out there who are facing a transition, divorce, remarriage, empty nesting, re-entry into the workforce, whatever it is. And if you need a little bit of support, Father's Day weekend in beautiful, amazing Glenwood Springs, Colorado, three days. So reach out to me and we will get you signed up for that. Ah, there's only four spots left. So listeners, I hope you have a great week. If you've got comments, please reach out. You know, I always love comments, questions, concerns, Dennis, or I will take care of those. And in the meantime, you guys all have a fantastic week. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt.
0: Tune in next time to flaunt. Build your dreams. Live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release self judgment, reveal your naked self worth, and re choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at lauracheadle.com. That's L O R A C H E A D L E.com.